So this morning we will be speaking about emotions, transparent emotions. How many of you guys think it's good to be transparent, to be real, to be honest? Good. If you don't, I hope you change your mind by the end of our time together this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 62, verse 8 together this morning, and it says this, trust in him sometimes. Well, what does your translation say? All times, right? You people, and pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So this morning, we're going to be talking about emotions. The term mind or knowest has to do with the capacity to understand, to be able to reason, but it also includes the notion of the accompanying of uh, emotions that thereby overlap into what we would understand better as the heart, the cardia. Okay, so I'm going to this morning use heart because that's what we're familiar with. But know that the heart is not only feelings, heart refers to the whole inner life, which would include emotions. Okay, so the command given to us here is what? Pour out your heart before who? Before him. Now, this refers to expressing emotion. Some of you guys, when I say guys, I'm saying men right now. What are you talking about, pastor? Emotions. This sermon isn't for me. Maybe I should go help the kids out this morning. (laughs) No, you should probably really hear this this morning, including my sisters who are a little more in touch with our emotions. But... As we consider what God has to say about this, there needs to be a raw reality of honesty. We need to be truthful. And that's the one thing I'm going to ask you guys this morning as we consider this scripture, along with many others this morning, is be true. Just be honest before God. So, as we consider expressing emotion, really that's what pour out your heart before him is talking about, Researchers have classified uh, emotions into eight main categories. We have anger, sadness, fear, enjoyment, surprise, love, disgust, shame. So not all emotions are right and good, but they're true. Emotions are symptoms of a deeper reality. Anger tells you there's something wrong, okay? There's a problem. So in other words, angry or any other emotion isn't a standalone feeling. It's caused by something, and we must understand what causes it. So how to begin? Well, we must feel, right? Self-aware and express. That's where vulnerability comes in, of our feelings in the what? Presence of God. We're to pour out our hearts where? Before Him. So we're to bring these emotions. We're to express these things where? Before Him. Okay? In the presence of God precisely because He is safe. He is trustworthy. And He can handle it. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when my wife begins to share some of her feelings, Oh no, what am I going to do? I don't know if I'm going to have the right things to say to her. But don't you guys always feel safe with God? You're not going to trip him out. He's going to know how to handle it. See, he's not going to freak out. 
We can trust him. He's our refuge. And we sometimes think we have to carry this religious stature before God and others. Shame on us. I want to look at a few of the Psalms and how the Psalms, psalmist really did it. In Psalms 6 and 38, great Psalms that speak into grief. Psalm 42, if you're struggling with depression or despair, find yourself resting in that Psalm, chewing on those words, praying those things back to God. Psalm 46, fear. There's a lot of fear today, a lot of the unknown. Psalm 51 will help you with guilt. 55, speaking into betrayal. I think we all go through betrayal at some season of life. 73, speaks into weakness. When you're discouraged. 94, anxiety. There's so many people struggling with anxiety today. Psalm 95 and 145 speak of praise, which is so needed for us as believers Psalm 98, joy. Psalm 139, anger. Psalm 144 speaks into courage. Psalm 147 can be for the brokenhearted. The Psalms are good. November 1st was just a few days ago. I started reading five Psalms a day. Psalm 1 on the 1st. Psalm 31 on the 1st. Psalm 61 on the 1st. 91, 121. There's no 151. (laughs) That's my five and stuff. In a month's time, guys, I'm going to be able to go through all the Psalms, all 150, and I'd encourage you guys to do the same. Okay? How cool would it be to get through all the Psalms in a month's time? Because they were written for a purpose, and they really allow us to find ourselves in a place of vulnerability, in truth and honesty before God, if you're willing to really receive, as we spoke about last week, not just hearing, but receiving. What does this mean? What does this do to me? But, pastor, oh, here are all the psalms. I missed those. Boom, write them down. On to the next point. <laughs> I'll put them up on our Facebook later today for you guys. Some of you guys are here this morning, but pastor, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. Maybe I should go downstairs and help the kids this morning. I'd have to say, really? Really? Do you have any of these symptoms? One being using God to run away from God. Does that make sense? Let me flesh that out for a second. Maybe you're one that finds yourself hiding behind God talk or over-involvement in spiritual stuff, Christian behavior to look good to others. Maybe... You find yourself ignoring the emotions to anger, sadness, and fear. Taking texts about anger, fear, or anxiety and trying to stuff your feelings as though they weren't there. Or maybe dying to the wrong things. We're supposed to deny ourselves, right? Luke 9.23 tells us that. Well, we're supposed to deny the sinful part of ourselves not the parts of ourselves that God's renewing into his image. I love what Arrhenius of Lyons said. He said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Think about that. Do you guys believe that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly? Yes? 
Something else we often see is denying the past's impact on the present. The old is gone. Stop living in the past. But this doesn't mean the old didn't form us in some way. We must face it before we can let it go. How about dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments? That double life. Singing songs about God's love and then going home and lamenting because your guy isn't willing to talk and be there. Double life. Smiles at church, bully at work. How about doing for God instead of being with God? Effective on mission, service, outreach, but no inner life with God burning out. How about the spiritualizing of conflict? Aren't we good at that? Don't deal with relational conflict. Reasons that it's the high road and that's what Jesus would do. And you end up lying a lot. You end up very bitter towards others. Covering over brokenness or weakness or failure. Trying to appear to have it all together in front of everyone else. How about living without limits? Always giving, doing, caring for others. No boundaries, no limits. No ability to say no. Judging others, people, people's spiritual journey, let's say. We're unhappy with our own spirituality, so we project it onto others in frustration often. Ralph Clevenger's iceberg, he makes the point that most of what you are is under the surface. And isn't that true? People only get to see a little bit of who we truly are. And there is so much more. We hide what's under the surface in basically two ways. One of them is suppressing emotions. You see, George was deeply hurt by some things that were said by his dad in the past. He wanted him to be more involved in the youth program, judging others' spiritual journey. Because he wants to look spiritual like other dads, so using God to run from God. But George ignores his feelings of anger and sadness and pain until one day when his dad makes the same comment again. George explodes, and dad gets super religious on him. Again, using God to run from God, while mom comes in and tries to fix everything, spiritualizing the conflict to make it go away. And everyone moves on, but dad feels justified in himself. George feels discouraged, and mom keeps running from difficult situations. And then there's Mary, was abused as a child, the past. She has trouble getting close to anyone. She puts a happy face, covers over, and gets involved in everything she can. Again, using God 
to run away from God. Meets a guy by the name of Tim. They get married, but never experience deep intimacy together. She keeps them at a distance. They go to church smiling. Everyone holds them up as a model couple. They, uh, they uh, pursue that. They keep the you know, charade going, covering over. But they come home to a life of surface level, small talk. Lack of passion. Zero intimacy. After 10 years, they barely know each other. Enthroning emotion. What do I mean by that? I mean letting it rule you. This is when the pendulum swings from suppressing to a lack of self-control. One guy grew up where some things in his life were unstable. The past. So when he was older, he became a control freak. He was also mocked, ridiculed, and harassed during his younger years. And because of this, he grew up very defensive. He had a difficult time making friends because if anything got out of control or if he was confronted in any way, he would flare up and he would fight, either physically or verbally. You would meet him and you'd think he's nice, mild-mannered person, covering over, who was involved in church activity, okay, doing for God instead of being with God, until something upset him, and he would turn on you to protect himself, okay, compartments. And he was ruled by anger. He was ruled by that pain. You see, some feelings are destructive, and they try to direct us. Dallas Willard said this, emotions are great servants and horrible masters. So suppressing or enthroning emotions result in a deep disconnect between our lips and our hearts. We say we believe one thing, but deep down, we don't believe it. I think of what Matthew told us in chapter 15, verse 18, these people, okay, they draw near to me, Jesus said, with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart, it's far from me. So out of that disconnect can come hypocrisy, depression, burnout, distance from God, and others. Look at Psalm 73 here with me. Verse 21 and 22 says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. So is there a way forward? Do you guys believe that there's always a way forward with God? Absolutely. I love the gospel of Jesus. <laughs> it is really our only hope, guys. Okay, It's our hope of expressing feelings in a healthy way. Without the gospel, I don't know how that's even possible. I want you guys to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. We're going to look at verses 14 to 19. And we're going to consider for a minute these emotions. The, the scriptures refer to the inner man, what's going on in the inside. 
And the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this to the church in Ephesus, chapter 3, verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Jesus ruling our emotions because we have union with him. Do you guys get what the scriptures are telling us? And I don't know about you guys, but I need my God, my faithful Father. I need Him to rule my emotions. Because when He doesn't, I'm a mess. You see, we need to be learning as Christians, as God's kids, how to express how we feel. Don't you really want to know when you ask a loved one, how are you doing? You love them. You care for them. Don't you want a real answer? I know I do. I care for people. I love people. Oh, I'm good. What does that mean? Are you really good? Okay. Every time I ask you, you're good. You can't be good all the time. Life just isn't that way, so you're lying to me. You know, I want to know what's really going on. And I believe without the gospel, without God helping us in that, we're not going to be able to be real. We're not going to be able to be vulnerable. Now, we're to pour out our hearts before him to God and indirectly to ourselves. Do you guys see why that psalm is so cool? Okay, Because as we do that, we're going to experience, we may realize things that are really going on that we've just been trying to hide, not to deal with. And that's why it is so good we get alone with God and we get real and we have that place and that time to pour our hearts out before him. I want to share an example of betrayal with you guys. In Psalm 55 Starting in verse 12, it says this, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Okay? Again, this is an example of betrayal. Then I could bear it, he says. Nor it is one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walk to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell for wickedness is their dwellings in among them. And as, whoop, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray, I will cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. 
And then in verse 22, there's a turning to God now that takes place. Would you guys say the psalmist is pouring out his heart before God? Absolutely. But what ends up happening as a result of that, we're told in verse 22, he is now in a place of turning to God and says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So when we bring our feelings before God, he can deal with them. And this may mean healing. So asking the why question is to go even deeper. And this is gold, guys, because our feelings are telling us things. They are not always right things. Anger, fear, while true, and not to be held onto, we're told in Ephesians, asking the why questions can help us get to the bottom of it. Does that make sense? So, example. Why do I get angry? <laughs> Why do I find myself frustrated? Okay. Well, there's sometimes I feel rejected. And that may be of things of my past. But because of that, I want to cut things off before they might even happen, before somebody might betray me or hurt me. So I don't want to go there. Just an example. We all have them. So the thing is, is when we uncover the why question, we can face ourselves in the presence of God. God is our refuge, correct? So look at what David does. In Psalm 139, okay, David opens himself to God. And I love this psalm. There's so much for us to draw from it. We see here David saying, O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me you know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. And then in verse 17, but David eventually moves to God's righteousness, okay, his, his thoughts, okay? And God declares, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. And how great is the sum of them. So David is now in this place of seeing, hey, this is what God thinks. This is what is right. And then verse 19, David is able to express his pain. Oh, that you slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred, and I count them as my enemies. But catch what David does next. He submits everything, even his emotions, to God. He says in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Isn't that a cool prayer? Kind of a scary prayer. <laughs> God, really, look what's going on. <laughs> Reveal, show me, search me. I'm kind of scared about what he's going to find, what I'm going to have to work with. But I don't know about you guys, but I want to change. I want to be healed. And I think that happens when we come to this place, when we're honest. You see, it is only by knowing God intimately that we can know what's happening inside of us. 
It's the only way. John Calvin in the Institutes, he, he said this, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. No one can look upon himself without immediately turning his thoughts to the contemplation of God in whom he lives and moves. So I had to break down, I had to feel and be before my God in all of my embarrassing garbage. And when I was broken, I could see my own insufficiency, powerlessness, I turned to God. You see, there's a vulnerability that's needed. There needs to be a vulnerability with one another, not just God. So we must feel self-aware and express which would be vulnerability, our feelings with others. So to tell appropriate people how you feel. Some of you have been hurt. You need to be honest. Again, we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, okay? So if we're filled with the Spirit of God, we're going to be speaking to one another. That's just a sign of a a spirit-filled Christian. But we need to be speaking the truth, what? In love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And verse 25 tells us, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We need to be doing that. Peter Cazero Uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, he wrote this. When we do not process before God the very feelings that make us human, such as fear and sadness or anger, we leak. Our churches are filled with leaky or leaking Christians who have not treated their emotions as a discipleship issue. Grieving is not possible without paying attention to our anger and sadness. Most people who fill churches are nice and respectable. Few explode in anger, at least in public. The majority, like me, stuff these difficult feelings, trusting that God will honor our noble efforts. Well, the result is that we leak through soft ways, such as being passive-aggressive behavior, showing up late, uh, sarcastic remarks or a nasty tone of voice or giving the silent treatment to someone. You see, when we are loving and honest with our emotions, we rob Satan of opportunity. Do you guys get that? That's why it's so important to be real. Look at verse 26 in Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin, we're told. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Do you guys see the context? Do you guys see how cool that is, how it works together there? The double-edged sword. When people first discover what it feels like to be emotionally healthy, they go overboard and they turn inward. Okay? Too many boundaries, overexpressing themselves, hurting others, withdrawing from a community, and so on. This is a mistake. 
Okay? It comes from thinking that we are supposed to be healthy and mature for our own sakes. You see, feelings aren't the end goal, is it? Love is. You guys see that and understand that. Because if you don't get that, you're going to become self-absorbed. And that's not healthy. <laughs> I want you guys to notice the trajectory in Psalm 62. David starts in solitude with God, which is very important. But he ends in verse 8 in the community of God's people encouraging them to pour out their hearts. So emotional health for David's resulted in a better ability to care for others, not withdraw from them. So the end result of emotional health is not feeling good about ourselves, but loving God and loving others. And after David was healed, he was able to be a healing conduit in the lives of others. So as we learn to become vulnerable, God will be teaching us to understand others and help them to do the same thing. So are we listening? That's key. Are we really listening? Are we asking the good questions so we can really hear what's going on with others? Check to see if you're needy, 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 needy all the time, but you're not giving anything back. You're not listening to others, not opening up space, not allowing people to be transparent. Praise is so important, guys, to this whole thing. Okay? Because we will find ourselves, as we are pouring out our hearts before God, in a posture of praise. You see, many of the Psalms that are laced with grief they always end in praise, don't they? That's just what naturally happens. So there is a note of hope and comfort in the sufficiency of God and also his worthiness despite our circumstances. And this teaches us something about grieving, about anger, about anxiety. Emotion must be felt, expressed, yet not worshipped. One exception in Psalm 88. Because life isn't always cut and dry, is it? No? Look at this. In verse 15 of Psalm 88, it says, I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me all together. Loved one and friend, you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. So what's, it's what grounds our ever-changing feelings in the unchanging nature of God. No matter how we feel, his worth never changes. He stays the same. In fact, as we grow, we see our worth most vividly in our sufferings. Francis Crosby was born into a family of strong Puritan ancestry on March 24th, 1820. As a baby, she had an eye infection. An incompetent doctor 
treated it by placing some hot bandages on her red and inflamed eyelids. And then fleck, uh, the infection did clear up, but it left her blind for the rest of her life, um, scarring her eyes. And Fanny became blind uh, for life. And a few months later, Fanny's dad became ill and he died. She said this, and I love it. If I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. Isn't that cool? So in the midst of sorrow, grief, confusion, the declarations of God's praise become the deepest form of worship. One that ends up forming you. For as you praise, you are training yourself to keep your eyes on God's faithfulness. Let's stand. And Father, that would be my prayer for my brothers and my sisters here this morning. Uh, for myself, that we would find ourselves praising you. No matter what the day may hold, no matter what the past has brought or what's to come. Lord, this life isn't easy. You've even told us, you've, uh, you've warned us in a sense that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom and that there's fellowship with you through suffering. It doesn't make sense, but we know it's true. God, we've seen that. We've tasted that personally. And Father, I ask that you help us to deal with life in truth and reality. Teach us how to be honest, to be broken before you. How to pour our hearts out before you. To be vulnerable with one another. Those aren't easy things for some of us. But we know it's a needed thing. So would you please, in your great wisdom, <laughs> Father, help us to see how it works, how those things play out. And I do pray, Father, I know that we're all going through something in life. God, it is good, Lord, to bring those things before you. And it's also good to praise you because we do have a blessed assurance in you, Jesus. And we thank you that you are there, that you understand, that you are going to give us good counsel, because you are our wonderful counselor. We thank you for that, Father. So please, Lord, establish these things in us, Father. Keep our eyes upon you. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.